Have you ever been called a band geek, a theater nerd, cyber dork, studio rat, gamer punk, orchestra dork, book monkey, drama jock, poindexter, artsy fartsy, or just plain weird? Well then, welcome to Art Nerds. This is the podcast where we sit down with our nerdy friends, embrace our inner geek, and celebrate our art. And welcome back, my friends. This is Art Nerds. This is the podcast where we talk to our nerdy friends about their artwork. Today, uh, on the microphone, I am with Chris and Ann Lukeman. How are you guys? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing doing quite well. Doing quite well. Um, Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for taking your afternoon with me. Oh, thanks for having us. Um, Yeah, of course. Um, These guys have what I'm going to call one of the coolest jobs out there and i'm gonna let them introduce it so chris and what is your art sure so uh ann and i own cu adventures in time and space uh we're an escape room company uh in downtown urbana yeah so our art is basically um immersive experiences uh if you haven't heard of escape rooms welcome to five years ago uh we are uh so it's a 60 minute game where you and your team play cooperatively to look for clues, uh, use those clues to solve puzzles, and proceed through a narrative and go through rooms to uh, unlock a final objective and do that objective and win the game and save the world. Yeah. And it's a ton of fun. I will tell you this right now. Um, I'm going to let you guys know, my brother brought his family down last week, and we played your game called um, Calling All Villains. And we had a blast. We literally talked about it all night after supper. So uh, thank you guys very much for that. How, okay, I have to ask, how did you get into this? Where did this start? Sure. So escape rooms as an industry started in North America um, somewhere around 2012, 2013. They originated from Japan much earlier than that, kind of following the tradition of, of kind of video puzzle game kind of things in real life. Um, but in the U.S., they started off on the coasts, primarily in San Francisco, um, and then kind of moved their way inland uh, until about 2014, 2015, when they hit really... Uh, the Midwest. Um, yeah, when, <clears throat> when it became a massive thing. And that's where you see a huge spike of escape rooms all over the country. And now it's a pretty normal thing that, that most towns of a, a specific size have. Yeah, so we uh, have a independent filmmaking background. We met in college making weird horror comedy movies at the at the University of Illinois. And um, we went on after college to continue doing indie filmmaking. Uh, we showed at several Comic Cons and Dragon Con and stuff like that around the country. But uh, we were getting a little tired of some of the downsides of independent filmmaking. And uh, around when that was happening, we started seeing escape rooms pop up in places that weren't downtown Chicago, downtown New York City. It was proving that this could happen in smaller markets, that people were loving it, that it was a real business or on its way to being a real business that someone could open. So we, uh, in 2015, opened, basically taking our kind of love of narrative story from filmmaking, uh, production design, again, from filmmaking. And we've been playing a lot of tabletop role-playing games. And basically, we put all those things together to try and figure out how to make an escape room. uh, And we opened in the fall of 2015. So what prompted the decision to jump into this? I mean, was there... Was it it just a strictly a business decision or something new to try? Or was there some... 
deep-seated artistic reason? When we do most of our artistic endeavors, we're at least a little bit pragmatic about it. We are solidly from the Midwest, and we we try and make sure if we're going to do something, it at least has potential to work, like potential to be finished and be unique. Like that's a way it could work. Potential to find an audience. Okay. Uh, obviously, um, potential to be financially viable is great. Uh, we we completely bootstrapped. Like we started in a tiny space with just. Uh, Ten thousand dollars in a dream, uh, mm-hmm. which you could do in twenty fifteen mm-hmm. for escape yeah. rooms. A lot of goodwill furniture <laughs> and handmade things that you know we we were just learning at the time of, yeah. of how to do this. No tech. Calling in loads of favors from uh, local, you know, scenic designers from Station Theater and stuff. Okay. Friends, yeah. everything. Friends and family helped us paint and get this place ready. And uh, yeah, we were we were able to to open a month later. Anne actually um, tested the puzzles of our first game, Office Hours, as a tabletop RPG at Gen Con. Uh, it would have been oh, a month or two before 2015. Yeah, it was yeah, just a month or just two before, before we opened. We opened um, where instead of actually exploring the room, she had a call of Cthulhu group and was like, "This game's going to run a little bit differently than what you're expecting." Well, yeah, and I, I uh, basically said, you're just going to be in this room the whole time, and you're going to really thoroughly explore this room. So they would say, oh, I want to check the desk. And I would say, well, which drawer? This is what okay, the desk so looks did... like. So to, just to try to replicate the experience as much as possible. And of course, it, it was it was different in a lot of ways. And I threw in some combat at the end there just for fun, because you can't not <laughs> have that. Do. Right. Uh, did it work? It worked. Yeah. Everybody really enjoyed it. Um, it, it, it was nice for us cause it gave us kind of the confidence that our puzzles were good. Puzzle design was not something we had any background in. And so that was the thing that was, uh, the hardest learning curve for us was how to make a fun puzzle. Um, and this was a good test to see, okay, the puzzles are fun. Right, this is yeah. going to work. Cause puzzles are really, and they still are, it's to a less, lesser degree now, but they really are the kind of gateway or hook that makes this a game for people to play instead of an immersive theater art experience for just people to explore and contemplate. And I think that's what makes it more financially like viable and more popular to a general population than just something that is more niche or only uh, uh, art gallery goers, only theater goers. Right, uh, as opposed to something more akin to a haunted house. Yeah. 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 Okay, that makes sense. Um, how did, uh, describe your first room, the, the first puzzle room, the first, the very first. So the very first game we did was called Office Hours. It is a game that, like Chris said, we, uh, we play tested as a tabletop RPG. It's gone through a lot of different variations over the years. It's funny because uh, we repuzzled it and then we called it the Lost Temple. And then we moved locations and we had a pop-up version that we had used at Gen Con. And so we set it up as a permanent location in our new location too. And then when the pandemic hit, we made it into a digital game that kind of <laughs> we had just saved us during the pandemic. Finally retired it uh, as a physical game in our location uh, and we had replaced it, but we had kept all the stuff. We had basically three different versions, four different versions, if you count the Call of Cthulhu one of puzzles that we knew worked to some degree that we felt good about. We had tons of narrative. We had the ability to go in and take photos of the set 
So we were able to convert it into a digital game that's still very popular called The Lost Temple. And it's yeah. still running, the digital it's version. It's still yeah. running. You can buy it on our website. It'll email you a code and you can log in and play it right now. Yeah, yeah. it won a few awards uh, in 2020. We really hustled after the shutdown and everyone was at home to figure out something that our staff and we could work on from home. We had uh, government assistance for payroll, but we didn't have the capacity to have anyone in the building. So right. how do you do that in an escape room? And it's you make at home games. Mm -hmm. Right. Everybody went digital. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it um, it really was kind of a silver lining to the pandemic because we now had a game that anyone could play anywhere in the world. So now we have fans all over the world. Yeah. People played our game and said, oh, my gosh, this is really good. And so a lot of those people, we've had a lot of uh, national and international travelers who have come to visit us because they played our digital games. Yeah, um, they'll go out of their way, fly into Chicago or Indianapolis. Uh, just this morning, we had people drive over from Indianapolis as part of a Midwest escape room tour. Uh, and they just left to go play games in Chicago and then tomorrow in Milwaukee and <laughs> wow. uh, took a day to spend in uh, Champaign-Urbana. That's fantastic. Okay, full disclosure, um, my daughter, Maggie, works for Ann and Luke, okay, and she is one of their uh, game masters. Uh, but she worked on the, the, the digital version as well. Yeah, one of the uh, great things about our staff is that they have so many hidden talents mm -hmm. and uh, Maggie, for example, is amazing at sound design and crafting sound effects. And yeah. so she did an absolutely tremendous job on the Lost Temple, making it sound immersive and making yeah. it sound cool. She was so, so good. Yeah. And I, I don't bring this up to brag on Maggie, even though I'll brag on she Maggie. She deserves it. She's great. <laughs> yeah. I bring it up because I think, because, no, I don't think, um, I bring it up because I got to play test with her this digital game and again it was me her all four of us at home looking for something to do and we had a ton of fun it was a great we probably spent a couple of hours <laughs> trying to figure everything out yeah it was a lot of fun it's not a short game it has no. some it has some crunchiness it has some depth to it uh which i think most which i appreciate yeah. as a person who enjoys this kind of activity i enjoyed dungeons and dragons i enjoy escape rooms I like a good puzzle mystery. It was uh, an interesting shift for us because we're used to the 60 minute time limit. Um, and so to give people an experience that they could play at home and take as long as they wanted, uh, it was a little bit different. So there's no game master, of course, mm -hmm. hints are self-selecting and you can take as long as you want. So I think players really got to experience it however they wanted to. And if that meant taking hints to finish it quickly, great. If that meant not taking hints and stopping for a little while to think over things, that's great <laughs> Spending too. Spending all day on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh, it was such an interesting switch because when a team is in our physical escape rooms and gets stuck, uh, misinterprets something, um, is just missing something that's very obvious. Uh, our game masters like Maggie, uh, are trained to, um, kind of nudge people in the right direction to do things that encourages folks to find the answer for themselves. Uh, even if it's not something they would think of, right. but for an at home game, if somebody's real stuck, you have to make sure you're engaging enough and interesting enough that they aren't too proud to ask for a hint, do ask for a hint, and don't just get frustrated and never right. touch the thing again. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, anybody, have you ever had reports of people just never doing this again? Not that I want to bring up bad news. So I think some people, uh, so the local community, incredibly supportive. 
Um, I think a lot of people went into this thinking it might be a half hour, 45 minute game. It's oh. a game that I can play with my nine year old or something. And we didn't quite design that kind of experience where it's a parent and child playing solo, uh, just to, you know, right. Figure everything out on the own. It's not a kid's game. None of our games are strictly designed puzzle wise to be for kids. They are designed so kids will have fun. But adults, yep. college students, They're smart challenging. high schoolers, yeah, our, yeah really good. All of get our games them. are designed for adults, but kids can play too. That's right. been kind of from the very beginning our our target. These guys have how many different puzzles, puzzle rooms, game rooms working at the at the moment? Uh, we currently have four that are open. Um, we've designed uh, and opened about eleven or twelve full length experiences. Uh, we moved locations um, in 2017, 2018, and that means we shut down five of our games and rebuilt completely new ones, mostly. Oh, so the ones in the new location are absolutely brand new. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a task. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it was also an exciting opportunity. Instead of reinstalling games we have open, we're able to get our diehard customers back because we have people who play a game, absolutely love it, come play everything we have open, and then we won't see them again for like a year. Until we open a new room. Yeah, until Mm -hmm. we open something new. And they want to support us, but like they're not going to replay. The games don't really, they're not very rewarding to replay unless it's something like, you played it with a work group, realized your family would love it, and bring your family back right. to play it. But it's not something you play once and then do again like a haunted house would be. Um, like I said, my brother and I, my brother brought his family down and we played one of their rooms last weekend, matter of fact. And then we had a ton of fun. But I could see, uh, but, and there was nine of us in that escape room. And it was a little crowded, but there was enough for all of us to do enough for all of us to figure out something and contribute to the big overall picture. And it, again, it was a ton of fun, but quite frankly, I don't think I could, <laughs> I could, well, I could see me bringing back a different group to play it because I did not get to every puzzle. I did not get to every, I mean, we, we, we divided and conquered. So is that, does that seem to be a, a norm? Yeah. Well, that's, so you played Calling All Villains, which is our largest game. It is built for large groups to have that kind of thing happen. So that if you have eight to 10 players, everyone does have something to do, which is actually pretty rare in, in escape room games. Um, the other games, you know, who that typically, typically play four or six players really well, you'll mostly see or be a part of everything. But Calling All Villains, I would say, is kind of an outlier for that. Would you agree, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We do a little bit more to kind of vary up the difficulty based on team size, based on experience in that one. It gave us a unique opportunity. It's, um, strictly speaking, the game that large children's birthday parties play and there's <laughs> such a different audience between adults and a gaggle of 11 year olds and one stressed out parent like uh it's it's just such a different experience that we put in some kind of stress relief points to add or take away from the challenge based on how groups are doing you kind of touched on it already a little bit but um who do you see is your audience? I mean, is it, is it just local? Is it international? Is it national? Is it an age range? Yeah. So for our physical games, it's really interesting because our audience, uh, this kind of art form, this, uh, this business has been able to capture a huge target market. 
uh, we knew we would be popular with like the nerdy college kids. Like we Absolutely. knew that and young adults and young adults Absolutely. like that would yeah. that was always going to be a group that comes to see us. But what the the surprise was, and we had we knew it's what should happen, but it was really rewarding to see it pay off. Is that we will see pretty much everyone. In a typical Friday, we might see a corporate group in the morning where everyone's wearing business suits doing corporate team building. Then we might see a um, group of kids, junior, high, junior kids. high kids coming after school. Or a field trip. Or a field trip. We might see um, high schoolers coming in the evening or college kids. We might see a bachelorette party or a bachelor party. One time we had a bachelorette party back to back with a group from a nursing home. <laughs> playing the exact same game mm -hmm. uh they did the exact same experience the old version of the cabin the previous version and they they had a blast there was different amounts of cursing and <laughs> different amounts of inebriation but uh everybody really had a good time i think that's i think it's interesting that uh the your games are used differently for different purposes not just sheer entertainment the the really interesting thing to us is that we see a lot of groups of people who maybe wouldn't go to an art show or a theater show we see people who would not be particularly drawn to this is art uh but they come because this is a, a thing that people do and they get we art at them they get arted at inadvertently <laughs> uh which which i think is really cool i do yeah i i agree with you when I was here last weekend with my brother, they brought a friend of their son, of my nephew, and he had worked in some of the Chicago-based escape rooms. And he came down here and he did this with us and he said, uh, this is hands down my new favorite room. So that's a big compliment to you guys. And it is true. It is, it is artful. It is beautiful. You do get immersed in this in your rooms. They're fantastic. So um, how much do you get to interact with your audience outside of, outside of running the rooms? Do you get to? There's a, there's a little bit of um, kind of chit chat during onboarding. So like when a team comes in, we, we talk to them and that is ours and our game master's best opportunity to get a feel for what kind of experience this team's looking for. Like okay. whether they're going to like hints, whether they've done this before, whether this is their very first thing and they have no idea what's going to happen, whether they think we're going to slap handcuffs on them and like <laughs> lock them in, throw away the key. Like uh, there's an amount of um, talk at the beginning. And then afterwards we try and do a, uh, not necessarily a debrief, but a little bit of offboarding that kind of answers people's questions, gets them hyped up to play the next one. Yeah. Um, we're also very active in the community. We do pop-ups um, in the past uh, and even beyond our digital games. We, uh, we chat with lots of people. Yeah, there's, there. a, there's a pretty strong escape room enthusiast community of people who travel the country to play escape rooms or mm -hmm. wherever they're going to someplace, they will visit escape rooms there. So we... Um, have, you know, made some inroads in that community of people who have played over a thousand rooms and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, talking with other artists, <clears throat> especially other performance artists. There's, they always talk of this moment where there's this, uh, 
little sparkly moment where the artist and the audience come together in this magical, bright, brilliant moment. Um, do you get do you get those kind of moments? Do you get close, or is this not that kind of art form? I think we get close. We're just not there for it. Like that's the difference uh, between escape rooms, or at least traditional escape rooms, and um, theater. Is that the set? is the star the set does all of the storytelling the set and Mm -hmm. like the the pre-generated video moments and Mm -hmm. the sound effects and the lighting like that has to do the work of that connection right and there Um, may still be the game master playing a character either in person or over voice but the majority of the time and focus is really on the set and we do have players, we have had players get so excited and, and in the game that they forget it's a game and they accidentally break our stuff, which is not great, but I can't fault them because that means we're hitting that moment. That I was going to say that's because I, when we were playing the other night, and I'm so glad I played this before I came and talked to you guys, uh, there is that moment. You succeed and you do the entire puzzle and you save the world. And it's this glorious little, yeah kind of moment um i'm gonna say are you do you game master these do you get to share these or is it just uh all seconds <laughs> second information when, for you guys? when we started we game mastered everything <laughs> ourselves now uh we have luckily i think grown uh enough that we do more of the design and building and managing and some of the customer service. And we have really, really talented game masters who do the game mastering typically, unless something goes horribly wrong and a bunch of people are sick. Yeah. I mean, on a, on a given Saturday, I'll usually try and get a vibe from 80% of the teams that have walked through the door. And that might just be, you know, kind of hovering and watching our cameras while they play. I like to get a general pulse or temperature of, how a game is feeling to the average group, which okay. is hard to track because you'll have good groups, bad groups, groups that come in being snippy and arguing with each other, groups that uh, absolutely rock it. And, you know, you'll have a, a kid come out asking questions about the lore of the game and stuff like that. Oh, that's, um, that's got to be fun, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, the... I will say the things that we do, we're very intentional with our design of the games to create those moments where everyone feels like a hero. Um, So the way the ending, the climax of all of our games is, um, you typically do have that moment. We try to amp up the um, kind of the time. uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? The, the climax, the, the, the adrenaline, the adrenaline. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so we try to make it so that you really feel like you need to do this right now. Otherwise the world's going to end. <laughs> yeah. And we try to kind of create that moment in every game so that you have that rush of adrenaline. At Even the end. if your team has 15 minutes left, it still feels like the stakes are high based on how we've designed the game. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's just fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, adjust the games? As you get more feedback, do you tweak and... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of quality of life things that we just don't know until 100 teams have played it. Until, you you know, Do you have an example of just out of sheer curiosity? Uh, So even just recently, we opened uh, The Wizard's Curse, um, our fantasy escape room, our wizarding escape room, um, in, what, 2018? Uh, and 
even just a few weeks ago, we went in and tried to talk about why a puzzle wasn't working for all teams. And it's a mechanical puzzle box that's very simple mechanically. Like there's no surprise trick to it, but you have to line up reels according to, uh, to unlock it, according to some runes on top uh, to complete a message that's in semi-elvish. doesn't really mean anything. Um, and then you just have to open it. So teams have trouble with this box. And for the longest time, we thought it was a mechanical problem. Like people weren't trying to lift it. Like it doesn't automatic. It's not a pneumatics. It doesn't automatically open on its own or anything like that. Um, and so we kind of sanded down the edges to make sure that there was more. It was more forgiving if people were wrong. And we've still been having problems with it for the longest time. And uh, so we set out an afternoon um, to fix this box and it started with talking to all the game masters being like why do you think this isn't working uh and everybody had different theories but nobody like completely hit it and then uh i sat down with one of our game masters jason and we talked about what could potentially be and he think and he was like i think it's the third reel i think this one's the problem and we're like okay why is it the problem and we found that it was kind of lining up in a way that if you were sitting to the boxes left it would look like it was perfectly correct uh. when it was the opposite so we went in and we did an art change on it and added an extra little flourish to the elvish script so if you put it in that specific position it was clearly wrong and since then it's been working great really just a little bitty flourish on the artwork yeah. made all the difference <laughs> it's really just a matter of reading what the quote-unquote average person will do with every single prop every single word, every single letter, every single viewing angle of lighting <laughs> in the entire game and making sure it's generally pushing people in the direction that we want them to experience the story or the puzzles or the narrative. Right. And it's one of those things too that even after we open a room, the first people to come play it are the people who are fans who already know, they're, they're already familiar with playing escape rooms. They mm -hmm. know what they're looking for and they know our style. So they kind of have a, an idea of what the, how the room's going to play. So even after the first hundred or 200 games, there still might be things that we change because then general population comes in, people who maybe this is their first time, sure. they're going to interact with everything differently. And we always want to make sure that we are um, designing the game so that both audiences can have fun. And the last factor is entropy. Mm -hmm. uh, everything dissolves over time, and <laughs> we see that all the time. The Locks aren't made to be opened and closed seven to eight times a day. I every mean, that week, every week, 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 week out. it's just not, you know, a door hinge opens and closes so many times, and then it breaks. Right, yeah. <clears throat> and seeing that across hundreds of very specific instances uh, means that the game's going to naturally change. We have to think about things like where. Uh, so if, for example, you had a button panel, it comes up as a joke in, in movies and TV or whatever. You have a button panel and there's a ton of where on the, the on two, the, the three, and the four. <laughs> you have a pretty good idea what numbers are important for the secret code. Right. Um, and that kind of spills out to everything, to, to not just buttons, but hinges. If there's an important number on the wall, a lot of people are going to touch it. It doesn't react to touch. Like if there's right. a hidden yeah. thing on the wall, a lot of people are going to point at it, touch it, get finger oil on it, and it will start to wear down. Mm -hmm. And then it'll show that it's important. 
and then it will become unreadable because yeah. so many people yeah. have gotten it. Yeah. So constant maintenance is important too. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That was made very clear when I walked mm -hmm. in and saw the wall of different kind of padlocks. And there's like, what, 45, 50 different types out there. It's, it's hysterical. Yeah, you don't realize how much it goes through. Yeah, yeah. we've got to have lots of backups for all our locks. So we don't even have that many locks in each game, but we have to have a pretty, pretty deep bench yeah. uh, to make sure that <laughs> if something weird happens or if a kid just puts it someplace weird. We had a lock go missing for a whole week and a half. So probably 150 people went through the game never finding that a kid had just stuck it in a weird place we were positive <laughs> the kid pocketed it it happens uh but he, he was cleared of all charges <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to, to hear you talk about the uh what goes into a, a an escape room and you had mentioned that you both have a film background and an arts background is that how you approach a new room or existing room is it very because you use the term storytelling over and over and over it's not just a pile of puzzles but is, is is that am i correct in that yeah absolutely i mean honestly every game that we start to work on starts with a three-act structure that we have used in film um and we build that structure around what changes when you get to a new space um, most of our rooms have three spaces or two spaces and something that recontextualizes the whole space. Um, and so we try to line up the story uh, with those dramatic changes in what the space is like. So we have, you know, your first 10 minutes of the game, you're in this kind of new space, you're just figuring out what it is. Usually you solve one big puzzle, all of a sudden something is complicated and now you have rising action. So exposition to rising action, yeah, right. Exactly. Interesting. So where did the storylines come from, dare I ask? So we have been uh, lucky enough in CU. It's not a huge market. There's only been a few escape rooms that have come and gone. Uh, so and there's not a ton around in the surrounding communities. So we've been able to and delight in using tropes. Like uh, if we were in a large city, there's probably um, 10 haunted cabin games in Chicagoland, like oh, at there's, least. There's like four in Indianapolis, and yeah. that's a much smaller market. Yeah. Uh, and doing something like that in one of those cities wouldn't be very interesting. But in Champaign-Urbana, it's a great theme, and it hasn't been done in the area. And we knew we could knock it out of the park so we have done variations on our own haunted cabin yeah we uh we basically pick themes that we really like you know typically from movies that we like to watch um you know we're we love the evil dead trilogy so haunted cabin feels a lot like evil dead um you know we love high fantasy so the wizard's curse and uh to a limited degree game night lean into high fantasy yeah and then we'll take a step back we'll think about Things like, what is a neat story that supports this that hasn't really been done? Or we can do something funny or something narratively interesting um, inside that space. So it's not completely bland. Or if it's really a trope that everyone knows, we either knock it out of the park or do a really interesting twist on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got to invert it if, if necessary. Uh, we also try to take a very holistic approach to design because it's not... I think if we just started with, here's a story we want to tell, 
and didn't consider the factors of the space that we're in and what we can physically do to that space, there would be a, a tonal mismatch. So we really try to consider the space, mm. what the space looks and feels like, what puzzles we think would work in this space and in this theme, and then how the story fits into that. Because in, ide in an ideal world, you want the story and the puzzles and the progression through the physical set to feel like one whole unit. And on top of that, like, we want to design it so that experience happens amazingly for the quote-unquote perfect escape room player, but also happens pretty well for the disinterested dad that's standing in the back <laughs> with his hands in his pockets. Like, uh, and that balance of it's not only when you're in the perfect spot, you see the perfect spotlight and the sound hits great, right. but when you're deciding to look at a brick that's a very slightly different color than all the other bricks in the corner that's completely accidental and you're positive that's important, <laughs> that it doesn't distract you too much or it rewards that with something funny that's down there but not puzzle important or, or otherwise interesting or otherwise it doesn't distract you too badly that it throws off everyone else. It sounds very much like you're, you're creating movies and theater and bringing your audience on stage. Does is it? I mean, that's absolutely. I think that's yeah. Fair. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I come from a theater background. So it sounds like instead of just creating your story and your, your entertainment for someone to sit there, you, you're really literally, you're sitting there and making them create the story and go through it. Yeah. It sounds like a real flip flop to me. Yeah. I, uh, at the very beginning, and I thought about it like reverse improv and that you're trying to, instead of yes anding where everything can go in a million different directions, you're slowly trying to funnel them into where you <laughs> want them to be and you push them where you want to be with everything that's done in the user design in the room. Uh, but yeah, it is a little bit like directing, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And we've done several uh, immersive theater productions that have had amazing sets, but use, you know, actors like Sleep No More in New York is a famous example, but they have a cast of, you know, at least 20 to 30 in every show. So they're able to use that cast very, very specifically to drive the uh, audience members around in physical spaces and to get that emotional catharsis or that energy. Right. We have actors that do that in some of our games but we rely a lot more on having a very solid space and um, very solid sort of the clues guide audience members in a specific way to prime them for the experience. Right. And we only have an hour. And it might be players' first time playing this kind of game. And if you've ever played a board game before, usually the first time you play takes forever it takes forever <laughs> and you're bad at it so yeah. like we want to teach people how to play and not ruin their first experience because they don't they Ooh. shouldn't come back and play the game again they're not going to get a lot out of it right. uh and we also want to design it so if someone comes in with 200 games under their belt they don't blow through it in 20 minutes how long does it take to create a new room it's been all over the place. Our first game, you our know, first game, we got up in under thirty days, I think. Yeah, uh, but we had a days lot of it plus planned. Fifteen days, twenty days, puzzle design plus thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. I mean, we've put up new games in uh, a series of months, 
uh, we've put up games. I mean, if you count pandemic years as real years, we've uh, spent about two and a half on three, our spaceship. Uh, three and counting. Yeah, um, which should be opening this fall. Yeah, it it can it can totally vary depending on a lot of things, um, depending on how much tech is going into the room and and how much uh, we need to plan around that. Um, what kind of set pieces we're building and if they're really complicated our spaceship has been really tricky because we can't just go to a, a goodwill and buy spaceship right. parts i mean it's everything has to be designed from scratch um our cabin went up really fast because we just built a real cabin and used real construction materials or a real cabin facing and a real floor and you that's know. something you can build real fast right. in real life yeah uh, so things that things that exist in the real world are much easier to build than things then we have to totally make up sure 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 because Having just speaking from experience, your your spaces are exquisite. I mean, and uh, again, coming from a theater background and seeing other designs, they're rich, they're detailed. And it, is this true that they're detailed to the point where they're almost um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're almost distracting. That's a careful line yeah. uh, and something we do think about, especially, and that's coming up in our spaceship as well, uh, a very visually dense, interesting, rich set where it feels like people actually use it is a lot. And it's a lot of overload. It's like running into someone's house in their kitchen and having to immediately make a turkey. Like, right. you, you don't know you where don't know things where are is. in real life. Where in an escape room scenario for that, well... The recipe would be the first thing that you can possibly unlock, and it would be out on the out on the table, no looking around in the things. You would have most of the drawers would be bolted shut or empty, uh, <laughs> so you're not encouraged to explore the entirety of the space except for the tools you need. And it would still be tricky, but instead of trying to find ten things in a thousand things, it would be trying to find ten things in forty. Yeah, I think it's um, it's about being really deliberate in the design process and making sure that, you know, any any kind of pattern matching that you would do, make sure the only patterns that you have are the ones that are important. Right. Um, you know, if you, we have we've been doing this with the spaceship, there's a lot of hexagons. And so we have to make sure that anything that has a hexagon isn't going to distract from, you know, the one thing that is where you put the hexagons with the hexagons or, uh, you know, certain plugs go in certain spaces. So we want to make sure there's not a different place where you can put them. And that starts in the design process of what things are going to look like, but ends up being reinforced by the lighting design, by the sound design. Sure. If a machine, if like you have five machines in a room and one of them is lit up and beeping, you're going to pay more attention. Most groups will pay more attention <laughs> yeah. to that one. And then one in 50 groups will think that one's too easy. That's the distraction. And go to the other one. Well, and part of that is if you make games where the design makes sense, then the groups who play your games will trust you and they will say, okay, well, this is the one that's lit up. They know what they're doing in terms of design. So this is where we should start. Um, I think that, that most escape room players who have played enough games know that the designer should not be trying to trick you. Okay. I was going to ask, had you ever done that or have you, or have you played rooms that are intentionally misleading into that? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, they're red herrings uh, yeah. are, are awash in the industry and typically people don't like that. 
Um, or, or if a room is poorly maintained, um, you'll see ghost puzzles, which are parts of puzzles that some part has been taken out because it was broken, but they didn't take out the rest of it. So oh. you're like, oh, I found these four things. What do they go to? Oh, they don't go to anything. Nothing. They oh. went to this they shelf to this that thing. all lit up when you put the four things on it, but the shelf broke, so we took it out. But uh, we left the things in. Right. And, and that's something you see in, you know, places where maybe it's a, like a, a large chain and the immediate management isn't really interested or involved in the business or, you know, pl- for a while, escape rooms were a get rich quick scheme. And so a lot of very bad ones opened in a short amount of time. Mostly, I think that's that's died away with the pandemic. But for for a while, it was very weird out there. Yeah. Interesting. Um do you guys have any uh, muses, heroes, inspirations that feed into your art? Everything I try to do uh, is to recreate the feeling of playing a Monkey Island game. I think that those games, the video game series, uh, the fifth one just came out. Those games are perfect to me in terms of puzzle solving and humor and joy and delight. Um, so that is what I always want our games to be. I want them to be funny and joyful. Yeah. I, we want to reward players for doing what they suspect is correct. And then when they figure out it is correct, seeing them light up, light up their eyes is, is perfect. Um, other, you know, games that have very, very elegant puzzle design portal always comes up. It does the same thing Mm -hmm. where it, where it, delivers solid puzzles but also is sarcastic also tricks you but while it's tricking you it's still rewarding you um in a way that's great portal is great at teaching you how to play the game while playing the game too yeah it's it's so good um at doing things like that um we were really uh inspired by a immersive attraction in the wisconsin dells uh before we opened um years before we opened it's called wizard quest and it's the coolest thing ever yeah it's <laughs> you go in it's not magic quest magic quest is a different yeah. game that's made for children wizard so, quest is made for children but no is wizard quest hard. is made for adults this was the first time that when we went to wizard quest it was the first time we had ever stumbled upon a game that was like this that was actually made for adults but kids could play too it's honestly where I, we took a lot of our inspiration for how we target our games um, it is in the Wisconsin Dells. It was raining the day that we were there. So we we're like, oh, let's go try this stupid wizard thing. Yeah, ha, at ha, least ha. it'll be funny. Yeah. And it was 12,000 square feet of <gasps> extremely well set decorated fantasy, fantasy kingdom. kingdom dioramas. The, it was kind of a scavenger hunt. Um, the, there was a, there little, was a worksheet where you'd solve puzzles you had to and scan then scan your barcode, barcode in to get glimmers when you had the answers. To answer questions. And that was mostly kind of scavenger hunt riddles, uh, which, uh, is not amazingly fun, go. but, uh, it, it was a cool experience is a 90 minute game and we struggled to get to it. We yeah. won with less than a minute left. Yeah. And this was running full speed, pushing like, families with small children get out, out of the our way. way Five-year-old, we're going to win yeah. this game. And at the same time as we were doing that, we would see the, the grandma, grandpa, and the six-year-old just like walking around, looking at the wizards, looking at the fantasy stuff, maybe solving one or two things, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not really stressing about it. Yeah. It was eye-opening in terms of what an attraction could look like and okay. how something like that, you know, look at mini golf. Mini golf is not 
not built for adults. But like, what if it was? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so th- they actually recently moved. They're now in a 30,000 square foot space. Still it's in the Dells. Still in the Wisconsin Dells. It's wow. fabulous. Yeah. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, on the same trip, we did that. We went to House on the Rock, which is also in Wisconsin. Have been there. That's which amazing. Which is, I think, the very first time I felt like I understood art was at House on the Rock because... It was experiential art. It was collection of things as art. And it was the way that we walked through the space. It was the first time I have had a cathartic experience while experiencing art. And it's so, and either by accident or by intention, it works so well in that it portrays itself as a traditional roadside attraction. It is a traditional roadside attraction on a grand scale. It's just a collection of stuff. <laughs> and then it hits you about two thirds of the way through uh, both the giant yep. calliope. From, the- from going from the, co- the carousel, the large carousel into the <laughs> organ room where everything is just arrayed like arranged like an Escher painting. Yeah, that you then you, you realize everything through. that you just experienced was intentional, meant to deceive and confuse. It's just yeah, it it's an absolutely uh, great experience that I don't think gets enough props in the modern uh, sort of immersive, immersive landscape world. And and I think that's an interesting because we we've been there and we had the argument: is it a museum? And it is. It's is it's it, a museum of fake things. I think it it, it asks th- it asks the question of what is a museum? Does th- yeah. it have to be real to be interesting? And I think that's what we got out of it was this huge uh, philosophical discussion <laughs> was part of the experience. You, you're about halfway through and you see a display that's the crown jewels, and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> these are not the crown not jewels. Crown jewel. no, this is not right. And it doesn't then, say that. And then anywhere. you realize, was everything that I just looked at also fake yeah was any of it real and i think that that line that's blurred between what's real and what isn't and also who cares because it's cool right uh, <laughs> it's you know one of the famous things there are the the fake orchestras that play the automaton the automaton yeah, orchestras yeah. and those are all fake but it doesn't matter because it seems it's like they're really so playing much fun. yeah yeah some of the instruments work. Some of the instruments don't. Some, some of, of the it's instruments recording. should work. Some are just recorded. Yeah. The, the collection of weapons that just like is a mismatch of actual real things, real things that an artist created 50 to 100 years ago, and then complete nonsense things that are just augmenting this collection and feel real. What, which what is which? Is yeah. yeah, no, yeah. it's it's great, and I think the fact that it doesn't have those little plaques of context all around, like the fact that it doesn't say the crown jewels are fake, or if it does, it does in like the most passive way. I don't um, think it says that they're fake. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think it claims that they're real. It, it's it it's is, amazing. It's a museum with an unreliable narrator. Yeah, I love it. Um, and those two things back to back, that trip to Wisconsin uh, was what led to us, you know, thinking about creating some kind of immersive in-person work. Yeah. And it kind of simmered for a year or two after that. And then um, somewhere around there, I was reading an article about escape rooms and like, oh, that's cool. I guess that's something cool we should do next time we visit a big city. 
And then a year or two after that, they started opening up in smaller markets in the the Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. like in the in the other places that aren't downtown Chicago, and they are working. And then it was kind of off to the races for yeah. us. Um, I would say right now, in terms of inspirations, um, Haley and Cameron Cooper own Strange Bird Immersive in Houston, and they run the single best escape room in the United States, um, and. That is hugely inspiring for me. I know I could never make anything as good as what they're doing, but they really, truly are doing immersive entertainment. I mean, it, it is a it is a show that they are putting on. That game of any escape room, probably internationally, has the greatest capacity for that moment of audience catharsis, where okay. they genuinely are guided to feel real true serious emotion that's not i got scared by someone that's chasing me with a chainsaw i cried in this room it is the only time i have ever cried in an escape room so far wow yeah it's it's great there there are games in the country there are games out there that have you know better grander sets and those can accomplish some of those feelings of being overwhelmed uh as well but theirs is the strongest strongest narrative immersive theater production that is an escape room uh and they're great uh we have had the chance uh since playing their game to um talk with them quite a bit Mm -hmm. and play other games with them Mm -hmm. um they Uh, they are great they are big inspirations and they run a fantastic blog on uh immersive theater and are one of the biggest proponents or one of the most eloquent proponents of why escape rooms are or have potential to be immersive theater when it, they're kind of looked down upon by the larger companies that have been doing immersive shows. Yeah. Uh, escape rooms sometimes are kind of like the, uh, the stepchild, the, the, the unloved little brother of <laughs> yeah. immersive theater of, they don't totally necessarily respect us as art. And I think Haley and Cameron are really pushing the boundary of, of yeah. no, this is art. You're, yeah. we're going to make you feel. I, I think we get uh, kind of lumped in with where LARPs used to be positioned in people's minds. And LARPs, I think, have come around a long way mm-hmm. in what people think about how people think about them as art on their own. Mm-hmm. That's uh, live action role playing. Just live action role playing. Yeah. Um, but. I, I think we were easily dismissed as an industry, yeah. uh, especially because a lot of the get rich quick ones out there aren't a great, uh, great example. example. And there yeah. are fewer get rich quick, uh, low quality, immersive shows, or at least ones that stick around or make money. Right. Um, yeah. So there's not as much of a, a comparison. But yeah, it's hard for me to conceive. OK, I adore your work here. OK, it's 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 fantastic. It's it's immersive and it's real hard for me to, con- to think that you consider there's so much, there's better things out there or not. I won't say better, but, uh, even more immersive or more impressive. Uh, cause th- what you guys have here is I would could, truly is uh, wonderful art. And you keep using the phrase experiential art. And I, and that's not just an escape room. That's not just a haunted house experiential art that's that's a step above and i think you have that here thank you yeah i mean i think i think we're doing really good stuff here i think we're definitely um you know top tier in the midwest for sure um i think there's some things that we're doing here that nobody else is doing and i think holistically all of our every touch point you would want an escape room to be good at we 
try to hit each of those things a little bit. Yeah. I think maybe we're not quite there yet in in getting kind of like an em- empathetic narrative cathartic moment for everybody Mm -hmm. uh but i think that's something we're working on in our newer games we don't have a singular game that is so fantastically amazing that it kind of rises above everything in the midwest but we're a very good company that some companies have better sets but don't have as good player flow or have bad maintenance or their philosophy hasn't been able to secure good customer service so their game masters mm-hmm. don't know how to run it or they're trying to push people through as fast as possible to make the absolute most amount of money so they'll cram 12 people in an eight-person room uh, right. that don't know yeah. each other and have them finish in 45 minutes so they can get the next group in as fast as yeah, possible. I think if you consider but, set design, puzzle design, player game flow, and customer service, we are doing pretty well on all of those, which makes us kind of well-rounded uh, as, a, as a good company. Yeah. Yeah. You're not interested in the get rich quick. Well, I did mention how we did independent <laughs> film for several years, right? <laughs> uh, granted. Um, but I, I, uh, I appreciate that you are focused on the art and the experience for yourselves and for your audience. And I think that's marvelous. And I think that's uh, a rarity. Well, and I think some, it, like you said, experiential theater, live performing. It ensures <laughs> a returning customer base, honestly, to be completely, you know, capitalist about it. If you have a good experience, yeah. <laughs> you're going to come back and play more. Um, and that's what we want. We want to build. We always started from the true fan theory. This might not be something for everybody, but for the people who are really into this, they're going to come back time and time again, yeah. and they are going to tell their friends about how much they enjoyed their time. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I've got a few end of the interview, like quick round James Lipton kind of things. Um, what about your artwork turned you on? When we finish it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh <clears throat> I think if we can catch an idea, like not even a set design, not even a puzzle, not even necessarily an interaction, but if we can catch an idea that I have confidence is unique, like that this works for this reason, and I don't think anyone else in the country is doing this particular thing, even if it's a tiny little inconsequential detail, is doing this particular thing exactly like how we're doing it. And uh, that, that sort of realization uh, has, has, been, has been so satisfying. Yeah, the, the novelty aspect is really fun. Yeah. Which is great in an industry that's, you know, 10, 15 years old, there's a lot of novelty left to be had. Yeah, it's still, it's still the Wild West in a lot of ways about what these experiences look like. What about your artwork turns you off? Not finishing it. Yeah, so we're kind of in the dark night of the soul for finishing our spaceship where everything looks pretty good and it feels like there's a close game there and there's just an insurmountable pile of tiny little fussy details every single one of which could randomly decide to cost you 12 hours in a day 
Like, oh. and and just the, making sure it all tightens up. The scale at which we do things means that we don't get to put the finishing touches and the nice edges on everything we want. And I think if I could change one thing about what we're doing, that would be it. I just wish we were able to, like, have the time and the brain space and the money to, like, make sure everything has nice, beautiful facings on it. Right. Instead of, like, all right, well, it, it, we got to leave this bare edge of wood here. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to take us two yeah, weeks more. Uh, especially as a project manager for other designers, which is what happens a lot of times now, going around and realizing we have to kill people's darlings is... <laughs> It's brutal. It sucks. Uh, it stinks. And the best you can do is hope you can reuse ideas and recontextualize good ideas in different ways um, and make sure that that artistic effort is not wasted. Um, it's just set aside for something it's else. It's set aside yeah. or it's adapted or it is complemented and put away, um, <laughs> which is which is that's the that's the biggest downer having to do stuff like that. Um, these escape rooms, I include a lot of different types of artwork. Um, is there any artwork that you have not dabbled in that you would like to? We have just, I think, dipped our toe in the water, uh, pretty recently for building our own, uh, animatronics. We've gone off of kits a lot of times. We don't have a ton of... Uh, things in the rooms that haven't been kind of pre-constructed uh, that does that sort of thing, but doing more with with servos, being able to deliver a wider world to players okay. beyond just the game master, um, and making sure that it's a solid, repeatable experience is really exciting. We we have a few animatronic-y things here and there, mm -hmm. but it's always been someone else builds it. We see an opportunity, we buy it, we adapt it. Um, but doing more of that is really exciting. I think uh, another thing that, that we're kind of dipping our toe in is doing more with our soundscapes. Um, our newest game is hopefully going to have uh, eight-channel speaker systems so we can really have things seem a little bit more alive um, so we can have things whooshing past, you know, doing, <laughs> doing different things, having a soundscape that really feels that amplifies the feeling that you are in a space that is not just a room in Champaign-Urbana. Right. Um, I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to do that. Is there any other art form that you know you would never want to try? I am bad at painting, but that's why <laughs> we hire other people. There's a lot of things that I'm bad at, <laughs> but we've been able to outsource a lot of but, it. But is this something you want to dabble in? Or God, just no. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've learned I'm not I have a horribly unsteady hand. I can design things, but uh, the implementation of some things um, I can I have I know what I like, but I cannot do it for the life of me. And that falls into some sculpture -y stuff. I wish I could do a little bit better. I don't um, think there's anything that I would say I wouldn't want to do. If there was a good reason for it in the game, I would be open to just about anything. We yeah. don't use lots of multiple actors in our games right now. And I don't think that's something that we would do, but gosh, if the situation presented itself and there was a reason to sure. Yeah. I think there's just about everything has potential. Um, especially if it's an untapped challenge, uh, I guess 
Yeah, the only things I wouldn't want to dabble in are things that have become tropes of the escape room industry that it's moving past. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's a lot of things out there where you would use your your screens for hint delivery and yeah, and things like that. A AR uh, augmented reality would have to be a very specific yeah. use case for us to want to do that. I think there's still there's still possibilities. Yeah, but. I yeah, I guess that's true. I do not have VR in me. Uh, if we were to, the, <laughs> I, I could consult on a project, but I think um, our current digital games have kind of pushed as far as I want to go into a purely electronic experience. Well, to a certain extent, VR is the exact opposite of what we do here. Yeah. And oh, if, yeah. if there's a way to include VR in the experience that we're doing, I'm not going to say never, but uh, I think it would it would take a very, very odd confluence of events to want to include that art form in our games fair enough um okay absolute last question uh where can we see your art you can visit our website at cuadventures.com if you click book now in the upper right hand corner it'll show you all of the game times that are available and you can book right through the website uh there's also photos of the room if you want to check out what they're looking like um and we do have several play at home games um digital and our solve our shirt line which we didn't talk very much about which are a ton of fun we've done those as well that's a, a full-length at-home puzzle game that you play mostly on a t-shirt um again chris loves his his novelty aspect of this so all of that's on the website at cuadventures.com yeah that's pretty much everything well, do you want to talk about our socials uh yeah i mean it, the easiest thing to do is just visit our website and go from there but we're on twitter at cu adventures with an underscore in between cu and adventures uh same on instagram and on facebook where the whole deal champagne urbana adventures in time and space guys thank you so much for taking uh the afternoon with me and give me the lowdown and the thought process I love hearing the backstage stuff. That is where my heart is. So uh, again, thank you so very, very much. I appreciate it. And anybody listening, come out and see these guys. Come play the rooms. They're so much fun. Cannot tell you how much fun. Thanks so much for having us. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for hanging around and geeking out with us. If you enjoyed the show, hit the like and subscribe buttons. And more importantly, join the conversation and leave us a message or comment. We'd love to hear about your nerdy art. Thanks again, and join us next week for more Art Nerds. 